All right, like I said, we're going to be in Luke 18 uh, right now. We're continuing our series, The Upside Down Kingdom. So please clap in your living rooms for my wife, Amy Miller. You don't have to clap. <clears throat> thank you, Joe. And thank you to Trent for our music time today. It was beautiful. And thank you especially to Dan Holoski, who is about a couple of feet up behind the camera. Uh, he keeps everything rolling here so we can do Sunday morning virtually together. So my name is Amy Miller. I'm Mrs. Pastor Joe, and I'm also the mother of two boys, a toddler and a 10-year-old. And I'm the children's ministry director here at New Hope Community Church. So Joe thought I would have some things to say about today's passage. So um, grab your Bibles. Um, we're gonna go to Luke 18, starting at verse 15, and I wanna pause right here. I know it's real early to pause, but I wanna pause right here because I know that some families, since we're not having regular Sunday school time over here in our classrooms, some kids have been staying in with our um, parents for music time, but then staying on to listen to the sermon, and I think that's amazing, and I love it. And I'm talking to you right now, but I also want the grown-ups to hear it. So having your Bible on your phone app is really good. It's good if you forget your Bible and you have that resource. It's also good if you're like out and about and you need to look something up. Um, but the wonderful thing about having a paper book Bible in front of you is that you can write in it and take notes in it. And I'm giving you permission right now and forever to write in your Bible because you can write things like taking notes on a sermon, like, oh, I didn't know that, and you want to remember it for later. You can do things like writing down song lyrics um, that really hit you when you need them. You can write down people's names that you meet at church when church isn't like actual physical session that you don't want to forget. Um, you can even doodle if it helps you listen better, if it helps illustrate something for you, even if you don't have like a special illustration ready Bible, you're not gonna ruin anything. Just make sure that you leave space so you can actually read the text because you're gonna wanna see that later. So Luke 18. <clears throat> now, people were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them but Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So one of my most vivid memories of going to church as a little kid was going up for communion. I went to Lutheran church and it, it looked a little less fancy than this, but not dissimilar. There was an altar up there, so we'd go up kind of orderly-like to the altar and line up and kneel. Um, imagine flashback mid-80s. My dad was in a suit, wore a jacket and tie. Uh, my mom was her fanciest of the week. She'd wear lipstick, and I was a little kid with like blonde ponytails on both sides here, and my sister was with me. And um, we'd be all lined up in a row and the pastor and his helper would come with the, with the elements. Um, and unless you were already confirmed, like in middle school in our Lutheran church, you couldn't take the elements. So I would just be up there for a blessing. So we're gonna do a different aside flashback. Remember last week we saw a Bible project video of how beautiful are the feet that bring good news? My pastor's name was Pastor Shane Fuss. And in German, Shane Fuss means beautiful feet. 
And I just wanted you to know that because my dad would want you to know that. So Pastor Shane Foos was bringing the elements and he would pause, he would trace the shape of a cross on my forehead. Sometimes he would kind of lay his hand on my head for a moment before moving on. And after communion, the same benediction was always said, and I, I still remember, it's from the book of Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So there's this deep smell of communion wine, presence of my parents and my sister, the choir music in the room, and I didn't necessarily know what it meant to give, receive a blessing when I was a tiny kid, but I remember that I felt safe and I felt loved. So this experience is what I've got in the back of my head when I read about people bringing their infants to Jesus to get a blessing. That feeling that I still, it comes on me, is definitely more easily recalled than any Sunday school lesson that was put together. It's definitely more emotionally charged than any of the songs that we sang. Um, I remember a lot about what it's like to be a kid, being a kid, and also, you know, what kids want, what kids are like. And I try to keep those things in mind when I'm choosing lessons for our curriculum, because that's one of the parts of my job, and putting supplies together for our activities together. How do we make it more fun for them in the way that they think is fun? How do we help them feel seen and heard and valued but not talked down to? How do we help them learn in a way that really gets inside their hearts and memories and not just their brains? I know a lot of people watching and listening, maybe you didn't have those same warm and fuzzy memories of church um, when you were growing up. Maybe your family didn't go to church. Maybe you had any range of unpleasant experiences there, ranging from just boredom to hostility or worse. But I know that somewhere in your life, whether it was at school or with your grandparents or just in your own household family, you had that experience. You had that feeling of, I am safe and I am loved. And that's what babies need, starting from birth. It's the basis for learning how to be a person having your needs provided for in relationship. The infant, dependent on the parent, learns love through the parent's fulfillment of their needs. Shelter and safety and nourishment and um, the parent feeds them, changes them, clothes them, gives them a safe place to sleep. Um, parents come when they cry, pick them up when they're disturbed. There's no chance that you can spoil a tiny baby because they're just too little and too dependent to be able to learn discipline yet. By having their needs met, they learn that they are safe and they are loved. And this continues through childhood, but needs develop and they change. So at New Hope, we have different classrooms for different age levels. Um, the goals of the nursery room where the babies and toddlers are is that they're going to feel safe and loved. We have caregivers stay with them, they get to play, and their parents get to be here in big church. Um, preschoolers are made more able to learn about concrete concepts, so they get to learn about God loves me. Um, but a four or five year old, they can open their own granola bar, maybe they can open their own juice box, they're not ready to say, okay, go out on your own now. They just have different needs. So our elementary school class um, is ready to hear about 
who God is, the character of Jesus, and how they can start living and interacting with others the way Jesus wants them to. And our upper and elementary, or excuse me, our upper elementary and middle school group is called The Edge, and I hope you guys are watching. Um, this looks more like a youth group, more like one of our house churches, um, where Bible passages are discussed and Bible concepts, but really the most important part is allowing them to ask questions and feeling safe to ask questions. At this point in development, students are starting to form their identities sorting through what they know and what they feel, and they're able to think in a more abstract way as they're challenged by difficult passages in the Bible and like life in general. Um, it's imperative to know that God is bigger than doubt, and God is able to accept their questions with absolute love, to be unafraid of their questions and to ask about them boldly to God rather than turning away from him in confusion or in anger. And our high school group, um, Crux, the goal is about being unafraid of the faith. That leading the life of a Christ follower should look different than a life that doesn't interact with God's kingdom. So we need parents and caregivers through childhood and adolescence and even young adulthood for safety and love, and it just kind of evolves as our development evolves. It looks different as our needs change. I mean, even in college and beyond, we've got house churches, so we can continue to be dependent on each other in relationship for love and learning and for seeing how we're supposed to do life. So a picture of this Bible story from Luke might be in your head of Jesus like covered in children like a jungle gym, like Carter on any given Sunday morning. But rather than it being like toddler free for all, um, it's parents who are bringing their infants, their babes in arms to Jesus for blessings. It's likely the same crowd of people that we heard um, present in the passage last week when we heard about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that those people who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted by God. So people are bringing babies to Jesus, seeking blessings, and maybe even divine healing, because we've heard about his healing touch over and over again. This time in history, childhood mortality is very high. And even if children aren't like held in high status in society, parents are showing their high regard for children within their family unit. They seek Jesus' touch, a fragment of time, Maybe they even want to be able to say years later, when you were a baby, the Lord touched you. So the disciples, who were not all that far removed from childhood themselves, they're teenagers, maybe in their 20s, they, the word they use is rebuked the parents. They spoke sternly. They shooed them away. A few chapters ago in Luke 9, the same word rebuked was used when Jesus was sending a demon out of a possessed child. The word is, in Greek, it's epitomeo. And now the disciples are doing it, maybe a little harshly, to parents holding babies approaching Jesus. So can you imagine if Pastor Shane Foos, in when I was a little kid, got a, you know one of his helpers said, eh, no, not you pigtails, I'm sorry, we don't have time for you. No, um, we don't know exactly what prompted the disciples' reaction, maybe they saw that this is not an urgent healing emergency, or maybe they saw the parents and babies as just not important to Jesus' time. Maybe they saw themselves as too important. 
um, like we control access to Jesus. The passage after this, Jesus talks about the rich young ruler talking to Jesus. So he's also probably in this same crowd right now. Maybe the disciples are trying to give precedence to someone of greater social status. All these possibilities came to my mind, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and um, just say nicely that babies can be distracting. Um, if we're being more honest, babies can be loud, sometimes annoying. I, this is a mother of a toddler speaking. Um, that extra noise is not conducive to being heard in a crowd, so maybe they're just attempting to protect Jesus in teaching mode, hopefully. We do see, though, that the disciples are not getting it. They're not understanding that the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth means that what has been the norm until now is being turned upside down. Those who are of higher honorable status or standing are not regarded as first or best in the kingdom. Jesus already reminded them back in Luke 9 that just after he rebuked a demon, <laughs> that um, maybe using the same child who he healed, um, that the disciples, when they got into an argument about who among them is the greatest, Jesus takes a kid to his side and says, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the least among all of you is the greatest. It's a lesson in subverting our existing ideas about status and also humility, and also about hospitality for everyone, that the kingdom is for everyone, not just those who deserve to be there based on birth or rank or bank account. This is a key facet in the concept of servant leadership or sacrificial leadership. The disciples are making the same mistake, again, by trying to shuffle away individuals that they don't think are worthy of Jesus' time or attention, or maybe their own time and attention, because after all, they're disciples of Jesus. This is a pretty important in their um, association with him, their inness. So again, Jesus is spelling it out for his disciples. This is not how we're doing things anymore. These tiny babies have a place of honor in the kingdom. The message translation of the Bible says, these children are the kingdom's pride and joy. If you wanna see what a citizen of the kingdom looks like, here you go. Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. The word for receive here is dekomai, to deliberately embrace and make one's own. It sounds like being delighted to receive a gift, like anytime you give a present or anything to a child, they're like, for me, great, this is mine. Even sometimes if it's not theirs, this is mine. <laughs> and sometimes that feels extra good if you really need whatever the thing is, like a college student getting some quarters. It sounds funny, but I really needed this. Thank you. But this next part in particular gets, this part gets really sentimentalized. Like, oh, children, like a child, children in their innocence, in their humility. Anybody who's ever known a toddler knows that they are not humble. They can't think less of themselves because they're just incapable of it. They can't think of themselves less. They, they can't because they have needs that need to be fulfilled. Um, they have, um, they're entirely dependent on others for, for what they need. They are in fact powerless. Um, they exist in community if they're to survive. They exist, the community is their parents, their family members, their teachers, their whoever is around them. 
So Jesus wants the disciples to be like a child here, not to be a child, but like an infant, not even crawling yet. He's telling them to be completely dependent. If they don't, they will not enter the kingdom of God. The disciples have been hearing lessons and parables from Jesus on the reversal of the notion that elevated versus lowly status means the same thing in the upside down kingdom of God, but it's not. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 people and they still can't get their minds around trusting him to provide. 70 of Jesus' followers were sent out with directions to be dependent. He says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and to expect hospitality on their travels, even saying, wipe the dust of a town off their feet if they aren't welcomed. But the disciples still haven't embraced welcoming everyone in Jesus' name. They even got instructions on how to treat children, and they missed the mark here again. And it makes me feel better that people who were directly there with Jesus still couldn't comprehend it. They needed reminders. So when Jesus says they will not enter the kingdom of God, it doesn't say they will never enter it. It just doesn't happen here again. A commentary that I read by Joel Green notes that they still don't really even understand Jesus's identity and mission. If they don't get this sort of fundamental thing, they don't really know who Jesus is at this point still. And so they don't even understand the nature of their own discipleship. They haven't wrapped their minds around their whole purpose in being there. What does this say about our own discipleship? The way that we are modeling our lives after Jesus and being his active follower in our own context. Where are we not getting it? Maybe over and over again. In Luke 11, 1 through 13, the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus demonstrates with the Lord's Prayer, exalting God's holiness, requesting that the kingdom come to pass on earth, asking for daily needs to be provided for, asking forgiveness and for the strength to forgive others. And in the next part, he tells them, ask, search, knock, this is all dependence on God to provide what is necessary and good and actively seeking from him that which we need. And the Holy Spirit that he gives us is the ultimate good gift. When we speak of being dependent in our society, usually it's seen, in adults at least, as weakness or frailty or even failure because in our culture we prize rugged independence and striking out on your own and making your own way in the world. Yeah. Yes, you should be cultivating your grown-up skills that you need to be a person, like cooking and having a job and cleaning up after yourself. So that's not what we're talking about here. Being dependent on God looks like Psalm 23. So grab your paper book Bible. And this is why it's good to take notes because you may have them from a previous study all written down for you already. <laughs> Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rohai, intimate companion, friend sharing life. I shall not want. Like I lack nothing. Jehovah Jirai, he provides. That actually comes from um, Genesis where Abraham 
is provided with a ram in place of Isaac. It's not just your daily needs that God provides for. It's your most deep and desperate, cosmic-sized needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He heals. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, all that still applies. I fear no evil, for you are with me, right there. Your rod and your staff, your scriptures and your spirit, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, the kingdom of God my whole life long, forever. Here it is vividly illustrated what it looks like to live a dependent life, one that surrenders our independent spirit for our shepherd's provision and protection. We can be dependent on him because he is dependable. He keeps his promises. So last week when Joe was describing what the kingdom of God looks like in terms of its being its own dimension or realm um, or the overlapping space in a Venn diagram, he, he talked about um, in Genesis 1 and 2, God made the world, the earth and heaven were still one, they were in the same place, but um, human sin and um, rebellion drove those two things apart. But the inauguration of Jesus, his birth and his ministry, means that the kingdom of God, heaven is breaking into earth. So when he was talking, um, I got a picture of a hamster ball in my mind. One of those things that are clear and plastic, and you put your pet in them to sort of roam around, maybe out in the yard safely, but they never quite interact with their environment. And that's the purpose of them. You don't want them to get fleas or whatever, you want them to be safe. Um, they make person-sized ones. They're bouncy. I just want you to have a, that picture in your mind. Um, I imagine people walking around in their self-made hamster balls, bumping up against the kingdom of heaven, but not able to fully experience it or let it break in because that barrier they've built around themselves is so strong that I protect myself. I provide for myself. Um, I don't need anyone else. So you bounce off of the opportunities to enter the kingdom um, because the wall of your own independence is so established or so comfortable. Um, and you keep, if there's cracks in it, you keep caulking up the cracks that you might encounter or that, through which you might encounter the kingdom. The trials that we experience like sin and pain and fear those are cracks in our bubbles that hurt. They might slow us down and get us to pay attention to the kingdom coming through, to see that the weakness in the kingdom is not something that we should be ashamed of. Other cracks in your hamster ball might be ones that you make yourself from seeing what's on the other side and saying, oh, I want that. Jesus as shepherd, like in Psalm 23, doesn't put his people in an impenetrable bubble and say, okay, go ahead by yourself, you're safe. 
He stays by our side and he protects us. We experience the joys and sorrows of life and death, but we're able to do it dependent on him to fulfill our needs, to keep us safe and loved in relationship with him, but also with others. So I wanna go back to that communion memory that I talked about. Um, the, the benediction that was said, it's called the Aaronic Blessing or the Priestly Benediction. It's from Numbers 6, verses 22 through 27. The full passage goes, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This comes after a section of instructions for people who wish to give their lives fully to God's service. Um, the Old Testament consecration process for service in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the traveling dwelling place of the Lord when um, the Hebrews were wandering in the desert. It was a, a tent um, church. So it describes how to grow your hair, what to consume, how not to interact with dead bodies and other unclean elements, how to purify yourself um, in case of uncleanness. And you do that through sacrifices and rituals. So this beautiful passage that I remember hearing in church on a regular basis follows instructions for how God's chosen people can be God's dedicated, devoted workers. And I think knowing the context makes it even more comforting to me. In the new covenant, since Jesus came and fulfilled the law, we are free from the complicated rituals and ceremonies, which makes us able to dedicate our entire lives freely to the service of God's kingdom. A priest's approval of a sacrifice is unnecessary for us to be free from our sin, since Jesus has already forgiven us. He has already sacrificed himself for us. We are free to be of service for the good works that God has planned for us ahead of time. And this doesn't just involve us as individuals and Jesus, because a shepherd rarely tends just one sheep at a time. So we exist in a greater community, both of believers and non-believers, but free from our hamster balls, we're able to carry the kingdom wherever we are to demonstrate our dependence, which looks like vulnerability, which looks like confession, which looks like forgiving. All of those things are impossible to do on our own, but are a part of kingdom life. This is why joining a house church and doing life together and um, being a part of a body is so important. It's why living our dependence out loud in our workplace, in our families, in our hobbies is so important. We read about the disciples getting it wrong and still being loved. We read about them getting it right and say, I want that. When we read about what people are doing, when we see it demonstrated by others, we're able to do it ourselves. Getting it wrong and right, we see it, um, the kingdom of God cannot be separated from community. We are the people of God, even when we can't gather in person. <laughs> we trust even though we don't know what will happen next. 
we lean on God and each other. In this time of collective waiting, of holding our breath, what else is there but to trust him that we will get through it, accepting help from others, giving help where we can, trusting that God is still God and that we are still heirs to the kingdom right here and right now, because that's where the kingdom of God is. Remember when we said the disciples needed to be reminded over and over what the kingdom is like? We all do. God is reminding me. Myself, I love solitude, and I love being in my introvert cave because it's comfortable, and it's quiet, and it would be really, really easy, especially in lockdown time, to disappear and not go to any Zoom call that I'm asked to, to not tune in on Sunday morning, um, to make so many excuses. But instead, um, I'm taking this very sermon as a reminder that community, to me, is absolutely vital. I am mostly okay these days. People say, how you doing? And I say, oh, I'm mostly, I'm okay, I'm good. Um, I'm mostly okay except for when I'm not okay. And I think a lot of you probably are feeling the same thing. A few weeks ago, I was in tears on Sunday morning, uh, on Easter morning, when they showed the, the virtual stand and greet, because I saw everybody's faces. And I, <laughs> I love you guys, and I realized how absolutely desperately I am starving for community. There's people watching here who are not regular members of our body, that are my friends, that I invited you, and I miss you, and you're part of my community. And not singing together here on Sunday morning is a bummer. I know you guys are in your individual houses, hopefully doing it. Shannon's dancing this morning, and um, it's not the same being in a big echoey room and worshiping. So I took this as a push that the Tuesday night uh, women's Bible study that's starting um, is going to be absolutely necessary for me because I need women in my life so I can see what God is doing in their lives and also because I'm home with boys nonstop and I need my ladies so there's still room you can still join if you want to um, but for everyone you are safe in community and you are also needed there to be safe for other people. When this weird time is over and we're able to go about our lives out of isolation, we're still called to be a blessing to everyone we encounter. And how extraordinary it is to contemplate that every day. Our King gives us so much capacity for love and for His goodness that it can flow to everyone around us when we surrender our pride and our self-reliance. So we don't have to go back to business as usual. We have a moment in history to be the church to a suffering world in every context of our lives. So if you settle for keeping your independence, if you tell yourself that you don't need to come back when church reopens because we've seen that you can just watch church online, it's super convenient, um, if you think that you shouldn't join a house church because maybe you're dealing with some really dark stuff and others, you know, won't want to be around you if they hear it. If you need help 
dealing with everything that's going on, but you don't want to approach somebody for prayer, you'll be keeping God's works to yourself rather than letting him use you. Come with your mess. Come with your pain and your doubts and your anxieties. Community is not optional in the upside down kingdom. God works through the spirit and the spirit works through people. We need each other as we need him and others need us, you. When you withhold the person that God has made you to be, the kingdom suffers. But when we surrender our independence to our trustworthy God, we can trust him because he is trustworthy. He will shatter the barriers between the world and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, you say that you will never leave nor forsake us. You keep your promises to protect us in our greatest battles and provide every good thing that we need. Help us be wholly dependent on you like an infant and help us declare that you are our king, Lord. Let our community be strong. Let us experience you through loving each other and let your reign be made known through the way that we live every day. Amen. So now my friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a beautiful week.